Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. You may have heard me say it before, but in my opinion, all human resources professionals are not created equally and don't perform at the highest level. If you can find a good one, either where you work or elsewhere. And a good one, in my opinion, is one who is knowledgeable about HR policies and procedures, HR best practices, knows a little bit about employment and labor law, and is astute enough to realize what they don't know and to go and get information from a reliable source. If you can find a good one, a good HR professional, you should connect with that person and remain connected. Charlene Shapiro, today's guest, is an HR professional I met a few years ago. Upon meeting her, I immediately recognized not only her talents, but her integrity. And Not surprisingly, I followed my own advice. We have remained connected ever since. Charlene is the vice president of HR for WNET, the nonprofit parent company of New York's 13, America's flagship PBS station, and many other media platforms. Charlene joined the WNET group as Vice President of Human Resources in January 2009 after a long career in human resources at Pfizer Incorporated. Hi, Charlene. Thank you for making time to share your thoughts today. Hi, Beverly, and thank you for having me, and thank you for your kind words about me. I feel the same way about you. (laughs) I tell the truth. (laughs) I know you do. Kind words aside, I really don't know much about your background except what I read in your in your bio. I know that you graduated magna cum laude with a BA in English from the State University of New York at Albany and that you earned an MBA and I let me just add with distinction with a concentration in human resources management from Pace University. Please tell me about yourself, who you are, where you come from. Okay. Well, I was born in Brooklyn. Very proud of that. 
I still consider myself a Brooklynite, even though I live in Manhattan now. I am a baby boomer, and my generation and my family were the first ones to go to college. So when I was in high school and meeting with the guidance counselors, I was told I'd become a teacher because that's what people, particularly women of my age group, that's where we were directed. And I really didn't know there were other careers out there. So when I went to State University of New York at Albany, which was also known as Albany Teachers College, I did have a double major, English and secondary education. And my goal was to become a high school English teacher. I did that for a very short period. I just want to share this story with your listeners because it kind of tells people how you fall into a particular career. When I first graduated, I took the New York City teacher's exam, and there was a financial crisis in the city at that time, so there was a job freeze, and I had to find a job. I found one in a pharmaceutical company called Sterling Drug, which has been acquired so many times, I don't even know uh, (laughs) where it is at this point, but I was hired to do labeling compliance because I was an English major. I was proofreading all the labeling and advertising materials for the job. And I really enjoyed getting dressed and going into a fancy office building and working with adults. And I was there for about 18 months when I got a notice in the mail to report to a high school in Brooklyn for my teaching assignment. And I really was in a quandary. I didn't know what to do. I went to my boss, who was wonderful, and told him, and he said, you know what? You went to school to be a teacher. Try it. We'll put you on a leave of absence. And if you don't like it, you can come back. Wow. Yes, I was very fortunate. You know, I could have just given notice and quit, but instead I, you know, had a heart to heart with my boss and told him how much I enjoyed the job and how much I wanted to stay and how torn I was. And I will never forget that kindness that he gave me that opportunity. And lo and behold, I went. Uh, to this high school environment, which was quite a shock after working in this very civilized office building. And I didn't like it. I really did not like it. I loved the kids, but I missed being around other adults. Teaching is very isolated. You know, it's, it's just you and the kids. You're not really interacting with other teachers. Not very much. And I, At the end of one semester, I called my boss and he said, come back. And so that's how my career in the pharmaceutical industry began. Being an English major, there are limitations to what one can do in the pharmaceutical industry because most people are pharmacists, physicians, or scientists. So I knew I had to follow a business track. When I ended up at Pfizer, 
I was hired into one of the research groups as an operations manager. And that position put me in contact with people all over the company. So my my main contacts were HR and finance because peripherally I handled the HR and finance for this group, which was a, a $26 million, probably 250-person department. And I realized that I needed to expand my horizons. And Pfizer had a program ongoing with Pace University at that time where we could take our graduate courses. It was an MBA program and you could take some of them on site at Pfizer. So I seized that opportunity and I realized the courses I really liked the most were the ones in human resources. And I started networking in the human resources department at Pfizer and got to know everybody and let them know my interest. And I would say within a month of getting my degree, an opportunity opened up in human resources and they actually approached me. And the rest, as they say, is history. I hope that is a helpful story for your listeners. I'm sure it is, especially the proactive work that you did. And the networking, you know, I don't think people fully appreciate how important it is to make connections face-to-face, live connections, because we're in such a technology-driven world. It's so true, Beverly. One of the things I realized very quickly working in corporate America is that relationships were a key to success. Not only, you know, they always say it's not what you know, it's who you know. It was more than that. It was just being able to work with people at all levels. And whether that's the C-suite or the mailroom, having the ability to establish rapport and build relationships throughout an organization, I think is really, really important. Absolutely. People want to know that you're someone they want to have a, a an idea, a sound, a concrete idea of who they might be working with, who they might be helping get a job, whether they're going to be a person that will be someone who will be productive on a team or will be, as I say, a joy to be around. Everybody's not a joy to be around. That's very true. <laughs> But all kidding aside, it's important. Personal branding is important. And obviously, you had a brand, you had established yourself by your conduct, by the work that you performed, by your interactions with coworkers at all levels. As you say, you know, people think you have to manage up. But like you said, in the mailroom, Those Mm -hmm. are the people who know where the bodies are buried. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Those are the helpful ones. The ladies are the people in the cafeterias. Exactly. Facilities people. All those people, they have secrets. They have information, nuggets of information that can be very helpful. And if they want to help you because you've been pleasant and polite, they will. It's very true, Beverly. Very true. 
I had a boss in human resources who taught me to put the human in human resources. This man never missed an employee's birthday. If the person, you know, if there was a baby shower, a wedding shower, an unfortunate funeral, he was there. He was there. And he taught me when I I saw that and I said, it's really important to connect to people on a personal level. You can keep that business distance, especially when you're in human resources. People need to know you care about them as a human being. Absolutely. And that can make all the difference in the world. There's a lot of discussion about employee engagement and retention. Mm -hmm. The HR executive that you describe probably didn't have difficulty retaining employees because they, they knew that he cared about them. Exactly. One of the things when I look back on my 26 years at Pfizer, when I first joined Pfizer, I remember someone said to me, you know, the average tenure here is 25 years. And I was a young person at the time. And I said, 25 years? Who stays at a job 25 years? Well, that, before I knew it, in the blink of an eye, I was at the uh, the 25th, in the induction of the 25-year club, which was a real thing, by the way. And one of the things about Pfizer, they had very low turnover. This is at the time. Pfizer's proposition the value statement was we build healthy careers because it was a healthcare company. Obviously there's the the healthy, but the idea was you joined Pfizer and you had a career for life. Now, remember as a baby boomer, when we joined the workforce, that was the expectation. Yes. You would be in one job, maybe two or three at the most forever. It's not like it is today where people can be. I I heard something the other day that people may have as many as 15 different jobs in the span of their career. Well, I think there's no question that years ago, if you worked, you could expect to work for one employer. You might have different jobs within that employer's organization. But you would have, you could expect to retire after a lengthy career, but now not so much. That's exactly right, Beverly. And Pfizer was a perfect example of that because I had privilege and the opportunity to work in many different parts of the organization. And each part of the organization was different. So it was at times like working for a different company. But I was exposed to so many different things, and I did take early retirement. Pfizer's early retirement was age 55, and I was watching all of my peers, all of the people that I grew up with in the organization were leaving at 55, whether to go to some other opportunity or to fully retire. (laughs) They were fortunate enough to be able to do that. And I remember just looking around and realizing I was like the last one standing. And that's when I decided, I said, well, 
It's now or never if I want to do something else. And in my last position at Pfizer, I was part of the corporate affairs department. I was the HR lead for the corporate affairs function. And that group included the philanthropy group. Pfizer is a very philanthropic company. And we actually, I had the great opportunity of starting a program with my colleagues in philanthropy called the Global Health Fellows, where Pfizer would send our employees to developing countries to work with an NGO, non-governmental organization, or a not-for-profit, usually in a healthcare-related capacity. And I got exposed to a lot of not-for-profits. And I said, you know what, my next my next uh, career, I'd like to work for a not-for-profit. I'd like to work for a mission-driven organization and give something back. And so my, my transition to WNET was uh, fortuitous. I was speaking to several not-for-profits that I worked with with this Global Health Fellows Program. And then one of my colleagues at Pfizer said, you know, my husband works for WNET and there's a new CEO there. And I think he's looking for an HR person. And there I was. Wow. Yeah. It's connections. It's relationships. Exactly. It's talking to people. It's not only communicating and talking to people. It's sharing things about yourself, about your interests, about who you are. So they get to know you and they get to want to connect you with other people they know. That's exactly right. Beverly, I don't even know if this book is still in print, but uh, (laughs) about 40 years ago, someone gave me this book called Guerrilla Tactics in the Job Market. Guerrilla, G-U-E-R-R, you know, war, war type tactics. Like war. Yes. And the book laid out what one needed to do to get the job that they wanted. And it was all about making those connections and networking and learning, using those opportunities to learn about other careers, to learn about a particular field. And the book takes you out of your comfort zone because it gives you assignments. And if you are you know, a little tentative, or you you feel uncomfortable reaching out to people you don't know, it could be a little daunting. But it was one of the most helpful books I ever read. If it's still in print, I I would suggest it for anyone who's, who's looking for a job. You know, that's interesting because in my book, Your GPS to Employment Success, I included a story about a young woman who was in a a writing group with me. Mm -hmm. And when I was writing my first book, when she heard what I was writing about, which was employment advice and, you know, similar to what I, you know, the second book, she came up to me and I could tell that she was not comfortable. You know, I'm almost six feet (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not a small person. And she was an Indian woman, very slight, And she tentatively came up to me and asked me if I would help her. And she said she was looking for a job and there was no one who would help her. Hmm. 
And I was thinking to myself, do I have time for this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I've got a full-time job. No, at the time, I don't think I had a full-time job. I think I was just working on the book. But it was, I had to stop myself and say, okay, fool, <laughs> this is why you're writing the book. Right. <laughs> people can have information. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so I t- send me your resume. And I worked with her. It is the the most rewarding experience I've had on this book writing journey. Mm-hmm. She Now, make no mistake, she had skills and talent. She was a CPA, but she was a licensed in another state. She was not licensed in New York or New Jersey. Mm-hmm. She did everything I told her to do. She practiced answering questions in front of a mirror. She got dressed and sat in a chair in front of a mirror to see how she looked. She immersed herself in everything that I told her. Do you know that they offered her a job at a substantially higher level than the one she applied for? I believe it. She thought I walked on water. And I said, no, you need to understand you have skills, you have talent. Your resume didn't convey that. I tweaked your resume, but you had the material necessary to get that job and you stepped outside your comfort zone. That you have to pretend that sometimes that you're someone else. And you know, I do that sometimes. I feel almost schizophrenic. But I remember hearing that Beyonce, I think her alter ego, Sasha Fierce. When she's on stage, she's Sasha Fierce. And I tell people, sometimes you have to be somebody you're not to get what you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to. Sometimes you do have to step out of your comfort zone. So now, what is the state of HR today? What are its biggest challenges? I know, you know, the great resignation, employee engagement, Mm -hmm. retaining employees. But what about? benefits. What can employers do to retain employees, do you think? Well, you know, Beverly, it's an interesting question. We at WNET have not really been impacted by the great resignation. Our turnover is still under 10%. Great. Yeah, which is good. And many of the people who leave are going back to school. That's what we found. They're either retiring in an age where they're retiring, or they're at a point in their life where they decide to go back to school. We haven't had to deal too much with the great resignation and retention concerns. We try to create an atmosphere at WNET. Well, you've you've been there You've seen, I would call it, uh, it's not a formal or stuffy organization. Everyone is on a first name basis. We, well, now we're, we're still working remotely, but you've been to our offices. You know, we have open seating. Even the CEO sits out in the open and that creates, you know, a lot of camaraderie and, we put a lot of employee wellness programs into place. 
when we were in the office, we used to do a lot of fun things like uh, during Thanksgiving, we would have pie day where one of the local bakeries, we would buy apple pie and pumpkin pie uh, around Thanksgiving and uh, everybody would come into the boardroom and we'd have pie and ice cream. During the summer, we'd have ice cream socials. You know, it may sound a little corny, but it was meant for team building. I'm thinking of Halloween. We would have a Halloween party. People would come in costumes and our education department would decorate the boardroom with spider webs. And I mean, it looked like a professional set. It was incredible. And everyone would bring in treats and candies and baked goods. And it was just always a lot of fun. It's it's a little challenging now. I think one of the, the biggest challenges for an organization right now is for the last two and a half years, even more than that, we've been working remotely. And that has proven that we can be as productive, if not more so, when we're in the office and people don't want to come back into the office. And that's one of the things we are we are struggling with. I wouldn't say struggling with, but I would say it's one of the latest conundrums <laughs> of the workforce. Now, yeah, especially, you know, in New York City where real estate leases are not cheap. There's a lot of um high price real estate that will go wanting. Mm-hmm. I've always, con- you know, after COVID, I wondered what New York would do because people now know that, to your point, they can be as productive, if not more productive, working remotely, and they can live anywhere. That's right. And be able to perform their worker functions. And Beverly, that's become when you said they can live anywhere, that has become a particular challenge for HR and payroll. Yes. Because during COVID, we had a number of employees who moved out of state either to go back to their parents' homes. We had people who had aging parents and they wanted to be closer to them. We had younger people who were cooped up in their apartments, felt very isolated, went home to their parents in other states. And now we're in about 16 different states. And that is creating a real headache for payroll because of all the different, the tax laws and unemployment. and And the rights. Yes. That's a problem too. Not just payroll, but... If they resign and they're, I know in California, you have to pay them all of the vacation time they're due in their last check. The day they leave, they have to get that money. Yep. There are so many idiosyncrasies among the states. It's really been challenging. And I keep posing the question to the management team. Do we want to continue this or do we want to put a stake in the ground and say, okay, as of uh, November 1st, we're going to turn down any requests for people who want to relocate and continue working. And then we say, well, how can we do that? Because we've already proven that the job can be done. 
It can be done from Minnesota or it can be done from Kentucky. These are states where we have people or it could be done from Oregon. So it's become very challenging. And in terms of getting employees to come back to the office, you really have to have a good business case as to why that's necessary. Because we've demonstrated that we could get a TV show on the air without missing a beat. Well, I know I watched WNET. It doesn't seem to me that you've missed a beat. Right. I mean, we we went into lockdown on on March 11th. I got a call at home in the evening from an employee who said, I went to a Broadway show and out to dinner with someone earlier in the week. And this person just called me and said they tested positive for COVID. And I happened to have been sitting with the person who called me in my little team room that day. And he had been all over the, if you remember our offices, we had two floors and he had been in a number of different meeting rooms. And so I immediately called. I remember it was 10 p.m. and I called the senior management team together and I said, I think we need to close the office. Little did we know that everyone would be closed. Right within a day. But we did, thinking we'd be back in just a few days. I know I did. Yeah. And here we are. That was March 12, 2020. Yeah. Well, we've run out of time, but let me just ask you, do you have any parting advice for listeners? Oh, Beverly, too bad we ran out of time because I always have lots of advice. (laughs) (laughs) I know the feeling. Yeah. I think the the thing I would like to leave your listeners with is don't pass up opportunities that may be presented without a promotion or without extra money. Look at every opportunity that's offered to you as a learning experience because the money will come in time. I deal with so many employees where we say we have this developmental opportunity for you and they say, well, I'm not going to take it until I get paid for it. And I think people foolishly turn down lateral moves. They'll only take a move if it's a promotion, meaning a title change or a salary change. But I think, you know, you forfeit opportunities to build your capabilities and build your portfolio of skills. So that's my takeaway. And also do your homework before you interview. Know about your organization, the the place that you're interviewing with. I can't tell you how many people have shown up and said, oh, yes, I always wanted to work for WNET. Well, you should know that WNET are the call letters of our TV station. (laughs) Know where you're going. Know something about the organization. Yes. Those would be my parting pearls of wisdom. And sound advice. And to your point, learn to recognize the opportunities when they present themselves. I had an opportunity that I was about to say no to. And again, I had to stop myself and say, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. Why don't you just ask if it can be delayed? Mm -hmm. You're not ready now. See if you can delay it. And they said, yes. I said, I would have blown 
an opportunity that has really changed the trajectory of my employment journey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it to your point, a promotion is nice, but a lateral can be helpful because another thing to keep in mind, employers don't like rejection. <laughs> right. That's very true. <laughs> if you say no, when they offer you something like a lateral or you think you should have a promotion, but they're offering you a lateral and you say, no, I'm not going to accept it. I'm entitled to a promotion. They may say, well, we're not going to promote you at this time. And then that has left a bad taste in their mouths. That's very true. And you may not receive another offer. So just keep that in mind. But I give advice willingly and people can accept or reject it as Mm -hmm. they see fit. Right. That's right. (laughs) Charlie, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and just sharing your experience and your knowledge with me and my listeners. I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, Beverly. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Until next time. By the way, my book is available Your GPS to Employment Success on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Business Press, Experts, and all independent bookstores. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.